the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. So the specific reference here is something larger than any one human being can solve. And the fact is that this passage here is a messianic passage. This is a verse that specifically points to the problem of the human condition, that we are all sinners, and the gap that exists between God and man as a result of our sin. That's the breach. And that gap, that breach can only be bridged by Jesus. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. There is a problem with the human condition that everyone has stumbled in. Everyone is a sinner and has separated themselves to some degree from their Creator. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to the book of Ezekiel to show you that no matter how far away from God you are, you can always give your life back over to Him, completely devoted, and live with the joy and blessings that He gives. Jesus is standing in the gap between you and God, and it's through Him that we can someday enter into heaven. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, as he continues his message, Stand in the Gap. You know, a few months ago when I called out the governor and some of the legislators in Virginia because of their comments about late-term abortion and post-delivery abortion. I got some emails on that. I had people give me the deuces, as Tony Clark said. Peace out. We're leaving. Okay? People come, people go. But you know, what I find surprising is that it seems for every person who leaves because they don't like the truth, God brings two more because they hear, hey, we preach the truth around here. And... um, And we preach the truth with compassion, but the truth unapologetically. See, it's possible to tell the truth in a compassionate way, but to be unapologetic about the truth. See, I believe that people in our day are actually starving for the truth. I actually hear people say, you know, I may not always like to hear it, and I may not always like to receive it, but thank you for telling me the truth. People want honesty. And I think that one of the highest forms of respect that you can show to another person is to tell them the truth. And I think one of the highest forms of respect to God is when God's people are walking in the truth. And God calls out the pastors and the priests of Ezekiel's day. And we should be warned as well that he wants 
his truth to be proclaimed. And the spiritual leaders were doing a disservice to people because they were not telling them. Here's what God says about what is clean and what is unclean. Here's what God says about what is holy and unholy. Here's what God says about what is right and what is wrong. They weren't doing that. And so God calls them out for it. He also calls out the princes in verse 27. It's another word I asked you to underline as we were reading through the text. The word princes in the Hebrew is sar. He's calling out now the government leaders. In verse 27, he says, Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Now notice here that the prophets are compared to lions tearing the prey, and here the princes are compared to wolves tearing the prey. I don't know which one is better. Do you want to be shredded by a wolf or by a lion? I don't know. I mean, maybe a lion will be quicker. It's a quicker death, but both are bad comparisons, right? The prophets are compared to lions, and the princes are compared here to wolves tearing the prey, but they're in the same boat. The princes are taking advantage of people for personal gain. They're caring more about themselves than the people they are meant to serve. We're reading here a text that is 2,500 years old. And yet, when you think about a problem in our own government today, are sometimes politicians more concerned about their own political career than they are about serving the people? When people say to me, well, the Bible's just old, isn't it? It's like, this is stuff that is happening today. Even our public servants, they're supposed to be public servants, are often more concerned about themselves than they are in serving the people. And God calls them out for it. They care more about themselves than the people they are meant to serve. And so God starts here in describing the breach, this compromise and the weakness, the moral and spiritual failures of a nation. And he lays the responsibility at the feet first of the national and the spiritual leaders. He talks about the prophets, and then he talks about the priests, and then he talks about the princes. And then lastly, he also talks about the people in general. He says they're all culpable. Verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. And so he says about the people in general that they're cheating each other, they're robbing each other, they are mistreating the poor and the needy, they are oppressing the stranger. And this is serious stuff here. By the way, Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And can I just say something to commend this generation? Um, this generation seems to be more concerned about the poor and the needy and the oppressed than just about any previous generation, and that's a good thing. But a little caution, too, because social justice can never be a substitute for the gospel. We need to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, not a cup of cold water instead of Jesus' name. Social justice by itself has become a religion to many people. And by the way, it's a real sly way that the enemy is helping people to feel good about themselves through serving others, which is a noble thing, while at the same time, he's deceiving them that neither they nor the people they serve need Jesus. And it's a tactic I'm convinced that the enemy is using, helping people to feel good about helping people can mask the deeper issue facing every human being, which is this, our sin and our need for a Savior. 
sometimes social justice can mask over the deeper issues of the human heart, which is the problem of sin and the need for a savior. No human need is greater than the need for Jesus. So if you have a burden to feed the hungry and to clothe those who are less fortunate than yourself and to be engaged in things like clean water initiatives and to serve at an AIDS clinic or to eliminate sex trafficking, do it. By all means, do it. But you better share Jesus in the process, otherwise you're putting a Band-Aid on a dying patient. And we have to make sure that Jesus is always exalted in the process of trying to help others, which is such an important thing. Such an important thing. Now, so here in Ezekiel's day, everybody bore the responsibility of the spiritual climate and condition. There was a breach in the wall. God said, I sought for a man. I looked for it, and nobody was there. And he lays at the feet of the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people some measure of responsibility. And then he says, after describing the terrible condition of the nation, then he says in verse 30, and this is the key to our passage, he says, so because of all this terrible condition, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Now, there is a specific and there is also a generic application of this verse. I'm going to start with the specific one. First, God is saying here, I didn't want to pour out my wrath. He's saying here, my desire is to show mercy, but I found no one who was willing to plead on behalf of the rest no one who would partner with me in my mission of mercy. See, you know, the Bible says God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Ezekiel would even say later in his book, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is for us. He's not against us. If he weren't for us, why did he send his son Jesus to die on a cross for us? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, his desire is to never have to exercise his judgment. The people here were guilty of disobeying God willfully. They were denying the warnings of the good prophets. Most of them were false prophets. And thus they were responsible. And yet God's like, I don't want to do this. I don't like inflicting discipline on my children. I mean, who delights in doing that kind of thing? And yet God says, I look for someone. If there would only be one person who would rise to the occasion and say, on behalf of the others, I will intercede, I'll stand in the breach. And God says, but I found nobody. Now, when I read this, one of the things I ask is, nobody? God, nobody. I mean, how do you think Ezekiel felt writing that? I mean, think about it. God's like, I looked for a man, I sought for a man who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me and on behalf of the land... I just found nobody. And Ezekiel's like, oh, I kind of thought I was. And Ezekiel was a righteous man. And by the way, so was Jeremiah, another prophet who was living at the same time as Ezekiel. Ezekiel was in Babylon prophesying. Jeremiah was still in Judah prophesying. And also, by the way, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, after whom a whole book in our Bible is named. He's also in Babylon at the same time Ezekiel is. And so is Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There's at least six righteous people. What do you mean, God? 
you couldn't find anybody. So what this tells us is that the breach that he's referring to here, some kind of a breach here, is bigger than any one human being can solve. So the specific reference here is something larger than any one human being can solve. And the fact is that this passage here is a messianic passage. This is a verse that specifically points to the problem of the human condition, that we are all sinners, and the gap that exists between God and man as a result of our sin. That's the breach. And that gap, that breach, can only be bridged by Jesus. Try as hard as you might, you can't bridge that gap in your own effort or in your own energy. That gap between a holy God and sinful humanity cannot be closed on the basis of anything that we try to do. Now, God knows this, all right? This is why He sends Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can close the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. Do you understand that among several things, this is what makes Christianity different from all other world religions. Every other world religion teaches that you have to try to do something or be something or become something in your own efforts in order to try to get up to God. Bridge the gap. Try to be a good person. Do a lot of good works. Do a lot of penance. Do a lot of this. Do a lot of that. All right? Strive to be so that you can bridge the gap and get closer to God. Christianity is the only world religion that says God, knowing that we can't bridge the gap in and of ourselves, He came to us. He came to us. That's a huge difference. Do you see that? Where God understands you and your human effort and works and good intentions and noble causes cannot close the gap that exists between God and man. And so God, knowing that, said, well, I'll come to you. And so God came to us, took on flesh. The apostle John says, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ comes, God in flesh, to die on a cross, and he extends his arms on a cross in a sense, bridging that gap between God and man, taking the hand of God, taking the hand of man, and bridging that gap by his sacrificial death on the cross. Remember, before Jesus dies on the cross, Job, a book about whom is named after him, Job even bemoans the fact that he says in Job 9.33, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us to lay his hand upon us both. What he was saying was, God, I feel so disappointed from you. If only there was someone, someone who could take your hand and someone who could take my hand and close the gap. See, Job was writing at a time before Christ came on the cross. We have the benefit now of recognizing that gap has been closed because what Christ has done for us, that when he died on the cross, he paid a price for you and me, a debt that we owed, we couldn't pay. He paid for us. The righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. First Timothy 2.5 says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that he closed that gap. And then by us exercising faith in what Jesus did for us, now the distance between God and man has been closed. So we can have fellowship with him and walk with God in relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen. Now, 1 Peter 3:18 for Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. That's the specific thing 
that happened here. And this verse is really pointing in that larger sense specifically to the problem of the human condition, the gap that has been created. God looked for someone. There was no one righteous enough, no single person who was good enough to bridge the gap. So God sends his son Jesus to die on a cross for all humanity, for as many as put their faith and trust in him. I want to just mention something that is more generic in its application. The fact that God was searching for someone, the fact that God was looking for someone, he said, is there anybody, someone who would stand in the gap here on behalf of the land, one person? He says, I found no one. The fact that God was seeking and searching for one is an indication to us, is an inference to us, that there are times when God honors the one on behalf of the many. I'm going to give you three quick examples. One is from Numbers chapter 16. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to just mention these examples. You can look them up later. One is an example from Numbers chapter 16 involving Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. The scene in Numbers chapter 16 is that the people have ticked God off. There are different times in the Bible where God mentions, I'm ready to just kind of destroy the whole Israelite community. And there are different times where people intercede. Aaron is one of them. In Numbers chapter 16, it says in verse 41, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We don't like these guys. We're tired of these guys. And God's like, I kind of chose these guys. So if you're angry with them, you're angry with me. And so the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 45 says, God told Moses and Aaron, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Right? So God's saying, Aaron and Moses, you might want to step away while I smoke the rest of the people here. And God brings a plague among the people, a devastating plague, and people start dying by the thousands. And you know what Aaron does? Aaron runs, the Bible says in number 16, and he runs and he gets his censer and he fills it with incense. Now, in Old Testament times, when a priest, and Aaron was the first of the high priest, and Aaron took this censer filled with incense, and the rising smoke would symbolize, was a picture of the rising prayers of people, a sweet aroma to God, all right? And so Aaron runs and he gets his censer, fills it with incense, and the Bible says he stood between those who were dead and the living who had not yet succumbed to the plague, and Aaron intercedes. The rising of the incense, a picture of his intercession and prayer. And it tells us then in number 1648, Aaron stood between the living and the dead, And the plague stopped because God honored the one who stood in the gap on behalf of the many. Another example is with Moses in Exodus chapter 32. The Bible says that Moses is too long in coming down. He had been up on the Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God. And the people down below thought, well, he's too long coming down. He's not coming down. What are we going to do? Why don't we go ahead and fashion some idols of our own? And they started worshiping golden calves. And God was rightfully indignant about this. And so in Exodus 32.10, God saw it and he said to Moses, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. You ever been so angry where you just said to somebody, just leave me alone, just leave me alone. (laughs) And that's the way God is, right? He's just like, leave me alone, Moses. I'm about to destroy them. And Exodus 32.11, but Moses, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. He pled on behalf of the others. He stood in the gap. And a few verses later, verse 14 says, Then the Lord relented 
and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Why? Because one person stood in the gap. Last example from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome to appeal his case because he had been imprisoned unjustly for sharing the gospel. Spent two years in prison in Caesarea, boards a cargo ship with 275 other people. Acts chapter 27 is specific about the number, including Paul. There were 276 on board. And he sails from Caesarea to Rome to appeal to Caesar. And in the middle of the Mediterranean, this nor'easter comes. A terrible storm. The Bible says in Acts 27 that they were under this terrible storm being tossed to and fro across the Mediterranean for two solid weeks. And Paul began to pray. And Paul began to plead, not for his own life only, of course, but also for the lives of the rest of the passengers. Because as far as we know, none of them were believers. And Paul, knowing this, intercedes. And in Acts 27, it tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul one night in the middle of that storm. And among the things that the angel said at the end in Acts 27, 24 was, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God has granted you all those who sail with you. In other words, the lives of 275 people were rescued because one man stood in the gap. Here's why I'm mentioning all this. Clearly, don't miss the specific meaning behind the text where in regards to sinful humanity, there was none righteous enough, so God sent His one Son to stand in the gap, to bridge the gap. But I also want us to see in general terms that in Scripture, God also honored, in different examples that I've just mentioned, the prayers and the intercession of one person on behalf of many. And I want you to think to yourself right now, think about yourself as perhaps that one person who might stand in the gap, maybe for your marriage, maybe for your family, for your friends. Think about your coworker. Think about your neighbors. Think about your community. Think about your church. Think about your country. And think about how God honors one person. Not because there's anything righteous about ourselves, but because God honors the faithfulness of just one person saying, I'll pray, I'll intercede, I'll stand in the gap. God is looking for men and women who will say, I'll stand in the gap. I'll be that one who will pray, who will intercede. I'll be that one who will do what is right when perhaps others won't. I'll stand alone if necessary to honor God, to seek His face, to pray and intercede on behalf of other people and watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. God is looking for people who will pray, individuals who will do what is right, men and women who will not lie down and let the moral decay of our day have its way. People who will say, I'll intercede, I'll stand in the gap. And as a closing exhortation, let me just say this to us as fathers. Don't give up any ground to the enemy. Fight for your family and stand in the gap. Set the spiritual example. Pray without ceasing. Cling to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. Serve others. Love Jesus and stand in the gap. May it not be said of us, I sought for someone, but I found no one. 
stand in the gap and watch what God will do. Amen? Amen. That's all we have time for today. Our study through the book of Ezekiel is not complete, and there's more to gain from this complex book of prophecy. We're so thankful that you've joined us to understand the Word more. We trust Cornerstone Connection is a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from Ezekiel, but for now, you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available under the Teachings tab, and feel free to download them. We have a mobile app as well. Just click on the go. This is a convenient way to take the Word with you wherever you might be. If you happen to live in the Leesburg area, we want to meet you. We have several weekend services at Cornerstone Chapel, where we spend time in worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Look for service times under the About tab on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you live further away and can't make it to one of our services in person, come join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. Well, our time is up for today, but thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time when we continue studying through the book of Ezekiel with Pastor Gary right here on Cornerstone Connection. But still you know, but still you know, you're not.